The new Residential Tenancies Act comes into fruition in Victoria on the 29th of March 2021 and today is the last of our three-part series on the new legislation on the Residential Tenancies Act with our regular property management expert, Sophie Lyon. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your host is Sue Langda. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to Real Estate Right to ensure you get all the information you need to know about real estate in Melbourne. Sophie Lyon has worked in property management for more than 30 years and is the Director and General Manager of Property Management at Jealous Craig Burundara. Sophie is actively involved as a director of the REIV and is an accredited trainer currently focusing on delivering training for the new Residential Tenancies Act, which is what we are talking about today. It's the last of our three-part series, so welcome, Sophie. How are you? I'm very well, Stu. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Now, over the last two weeks, we've been talking about the beginning of a tenancy and during a tenancy. So today we're going to be talking about vacating a property and the new procedures to do with the new Residential Tenancy Act. So, Sophie, what reasons can a property manager or landlord ask you to vacate now? The the new Act doesn't change the reasons that you can ask someone to vacate greatly. Um, One of the main things that's been taken out was the 120-day no reason notice. Um, so we're not allowed to just give a tenant notice because the owner just wants a different tenant. Um, that right remains with the tenant though. And all the tenant has to do is give the owner 28 days notice and, you know, they can, they can move on whenever they like, but the owner can no longer have that reciprocal right. Um, they have to have um, a quantifiable reason and I'd say most people are familiar with the reasons that sit there at the moment. So, um, you know, that they're, they're moving in themselves or a member of their family's moving in, they're selling, um, they're demolishing, they're renovating, um, yeah. you know, those kind of um, reasons that have always sat there. Yeah. So we can still give notice for those. Yeah. Um, and we can still give notice at the end of a fixed term tenancy, uh, but only in the first tenancy. So if, um, for the first fixed term. Okay. Fixed so at the end of that first fixed term, if the owner doesn't give a notice to vacate and the tenant goes on to a second or third fixed term or stays on a month-to-month tenancy, yeah. then that end of fixed term um, option is lost to the owner. Um, so therefore they only have those um, options of, you know, selling, renovating, demolishing, etc. Okay. Yeah. So... For a landlord, just have those sort of excuses. And it could be like a $2,000 renovation. It could be. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. I'm going to be really careful how I answer that. <laughs> um, but, you know, you know look, there, I just want to renovate the laundry. That's all. Just the laundry. I just want to renovate that. Well, but see, this is the whole thing. What you've got to be careful of with the renovations is that it has to be something that a tenant couldn't reasonably be expected to live through or that they couldn't say we'll move out for a week or we're actually planning on being away on you know from the 1st to the 15th September so how about you go in and do your work then yeah um and then we'll come back and move back into a you know a a property that's got a new laundry or a new kitchen or a new bathroom whatever it might be so 
they they generally need to be fairly substantial renovations. Okay. Um, but if you're putting in the laundry, maybe you've got concerns about the joists being rotten under the laundry. I don't know. Well, maybe. <laughs> so, but then some people are like, well, you know, that's fine. We're ready to move on anyway. So. That's, well, that's exactly it, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it, it becomes a conversation and someone might be, you know what, yeah, we're, we're actually okay with, with moving out. Um, mm. We were thinking about doing it as well or, you know, I'm, I'm looking at changing jobs so that actually might work. You don't know where people stand until you have that conversation with them, yeah. um, which kind of flows into that other um, thing that we were talking about a little while ago around the um, with a fixed-term rental, whether you can be asked to vacate in a fixed-term rental. Yeah. But the technical answer is no, but the, um, the the conversation with the tenants can be opened up and they might go, you know what, the third bedroom is way too small. It's been driving us nuts. We thought we had to sit through this 12-month tenancy. Yeah. We're actually happy to go. Yeah. Um, and so you can, you can terminate a fixed-term agreement um, or a fixed-term lease by agreement and everyone walks away and, you know, everyone's okay. Yep. So yes, you've got to have the conversations. That's the thing. Well, you do. And if they yeah. if people are like, oh my God, no, I love this house. I never want to move. Okay, great. You know. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so you can have that conversation with the owner. Yeah. Which really answered our second question, which was if you have a fixed term rental, can a property manager or landlord ask you to vacate before the fixed term is up? <laughs> so we've just answered that, which is good. We have. Okay. Um, now, there's a new ruling that if a tenant threatens or intimidates a property manager, landlord, contractor, or employee of the contractor, the mm-hmm. property manager or landlord can give the tenant 14 days to vacate. How did yep. this law come about? Uh, it came about because there was really no protection for, um, for owners or property managers or owners' corporation managers um, on-site building managers um, or, you know, building concierges or anything like that from, um, from tenants who are exhibiting aggression um, or, you know, just um, assaulting even, intimidating. Yeah. There was nothing there. So there was definitely um, scope within the Act if the tenant was threatening another resident or another occupant of the building but there was nothing there to, to, to protect us as, mm. um, as agents or, or owners who were looking after properties themselves. Yeah. Um, so that's the reason why it was bought in. So it is actually a good thing because the number of times that you know, we, we do have um, property managers out at properties and the tenants will be you know, really intimidating or yeah. just insulting and derogatory. And so it, no one should have to put up with that because effectively no. it's workplace bullying. So that's mm. what they're kind of... They've brought that in to protect us against that kind mm. of behaviour. So do you, have you had any instances yourself or not? Uh, I've had instances of being intimidated and, yeah. you know, and um, abused and things like that, for sure. I don't think yeah. any property manager hasn't, but not lately, um, not lately. So, uh, which is probably a good thing. But yeah. um, I do know of a situation where this was used for a um, an on-site building manager mm. um, and uh, and. There are, there are definitely examples of it being utilised. Oh. Um, they're coming through. Yeah, I'm sure. So <clears throat> now what happens if a tenant wants to break the lease? Uh, is there going to be any repercussions to that? Is, are there any changes to that part of it? 
breaking well news? yeah they are and it's actually it's they're, they're quite um i guess far as to say they're positive changes because really lease breaks were never they were never defined um in the act before yeah. um so while we all sort of knew generally how it was going to go um, we didn't have anything hard and fast to point a client to, for example, and say, this is what you can expect. Yeah. Um, so effectively, um, the, the way that they're, um, they're looking at it now, they, they being um, VCAT, obviously, is yes. if someone ends their residential their fixed-term rental agreement or they end their periodic agreement uh, earlier than the required notice period of 28 days, Mm-hmm. Um, the main factors that VCAT are going to consider in that is um, the cost of relevant advertising and reletting fees, and those have to be in proportion to the actual cost that the rental provider um, needs to pay to secure the new renter, mm-hmm. um, and also the amount of lost rent and whether that could have been reasonably avoided. Yeah. Um, and also severe hardship for the renter. So would they have been expected... Um, to suffer extreme hardship or severe hardship if they had have continued on in the agreement. So what's considered severe hardship? Is that something like, okay, they've lost their job, they've got no way of paying that bond, um, you know, they essentially yeah. will not be able to feed themselves if they paid, Pretty sorry, that, that yeah. rent for that week? Exactly. So, you know, is yeah. what's, what's the impact going to be on the renter? Um, and you're yeah. right, you know, it's keeping a roof over their heads in that particular property going to mean that they they can't turn the lights on and they can't turn the heating on and they they can't yeah. feed themselves appropriately petrol in their car etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah. that would absolutely be an example of, of severe hardship that VCAT would consider um, yeah. so sort of the the way that they're breaking it down now um, is so an example would be if a, um, if a renter's lived in a rental property um, on a 12-month fixed term lease, just for the ease of it, $500 rent a week and a $600 reletting fee. Um, Mm. They tell the property manager that they're going to terminate the rental agreement three months before the end of the fixed term, so they're nine months into the tenancy at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, The property's advertised straight away, new tenants found, the advertising costs are $300 a week, um, Mm -hmm. and the new renter goes into the property a week after the previous one vacates so there's one week's lost rent so the rental provider's costs of advertising and reletting fees would be 950 um, Mm -hmm. which is the so 300 for the advertising and the 600 letting fee um so what the rented what the um the tenant would have to pay would be 500 the one week's rent between them moving out and the new tenant moving in yeah. $150 for the letting fee because it was a $600 letting fee of which the tenant has used three quarters of. Yeah. So it's $150 left of that and $300 mm-hmm. advertising. So that's what okay. you can expect under this new legislation that the um, that you could claim from the tenant and that VCAT, unless they had that severe hardship, that VCAT would award that amount to you. Yeah. So as you said, it's just making it fair, making it. It's making yeah. it fair and it's making it a little bit more balanced. Um, but one of the things that they are definitely looking at is it needs to be, that, and these words keep coming up a lot in the new act, is reasonable and proportionate. Mm-hmm. What we have seen in the past is that some clients will say, okay, well, the tenants are vacating, they're breaking their lease, they've got to keep paying the rent. I'm going to go in and I'm going to repaint the place and I'm going to pop some new carpet down so that'll take me probably about a week to 10 days. 
Um, so I'm not going to be able to relet the property for that 10-day period. You would not be able to charge the tenant that no. 10 days because the owner has not had the property available for lease for that period. Mm. But also that would play into did the owner try and immediately mitigate the loss of the tenant by advertising the property immediately and making it available immediately. Mm. So there's, there's things like that that you've got to balance up as well. Yeah. Um, and also around um, re-lettings that, or lease break fees that are um, incurred if it is a, a lease renewal. So mm-hmm. on a lease renewal, the owner doesn't pay a full letting fee, they just pay a renewal fee. Um, mm-hmm. So what we would be looking at with that would be the pro rata of the lease renewal fee, not the re-letting fee that applies to the new tenancy for the new tenant. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Yes. So it's a bit complicated, but, you know, we get... We, yeah. <laughs> yes. It is a bit complicated, but um, it's yeah. actually now that it's there, I think yeah. everyone will get their heads around it quite quickly and quite easily because they can actually go to it and read it now rather than kind of just run on the vibe and a bit of an assumption and a bit of this is what yeah. we anticipate it's going to be. Yeah. And there's no loopholes from the sounds of it either. Like there's no way of making sure that, you know, well, you know, as you said, if if the tent's left and then the, the landlord chooses to, you know, paint and recarpet, um, there's a defined line now, whereas yeah. before it was a bit wishy-washy and tenant would be going, but, you know, you, you're doing this, so why can you be charging me for that now, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So we will have a short break and come back with more from Sophie Lyon from Jealous Craig, where we will talk about getting the bond back. Okay, you're listening to Real Estate Right. I'm Sue Langaner and I'm on today with Sophie Lyon, Director and General Manager of Property Management at Jealous Craig Borandara as well as the director of the REIV or one of the directors of the REIV. That's right, yes. Yes. Um, We are talking about the new Residential Tenancies Act that comes into play on the 29th of March 2021. So, Sophie, we're going to get into the meaty questions now. Okay. What are the new rules when it comes to applying for your bond release? Now, this is, this is kind of a, um, an interesting one because the um, tenants can now, once they've given notice on their property, um, they can make an application to the RTBA to have their bond refunded. So um, ten day, we've got 10 business days to settle the bond with, um, with the tenant or to refund it um, or to make an application to VCAT. So if the tenant makes the application to the RTBA, the RTBA will alert the agent that this application has been made. If we go through as the agent or the owner goes through um, and looks at the property and says, yep, it's all perfectly fine, if no action is taken on that bond, at the end of that 10 business days, the bond will go back to the tenant in full because no one has disputed it. If we get out to the property to do the final inspection and there's a broken window and a stain on the carpet and we talk to the tenant and the tenant says, well, no, I'm not agreeing to any of that. We have to make that application to VCAT within that 10 business days. Mm -hmm. If we don't, then 
that the bond will go back to the tenant, even even though there's a dispute. Yeah. So that's the only out is making an application to VCAP. Um, Whereas at the moment, what normally happens is we have that 10-day lead up and then sometimes on the 10th day is when we'll make the application to VCAP because there's been perhaps a bit of back and forth with the tenant, uh, a bit of back and forth with the owner. We can't get agreement on both sides. And so it's like, okay, we have to make this application now. Mm-hmm. And then between making that application and the VCAP hearing, we've got all of that time in between to do mm. those further negotiations. And sometimes we don't end up having to go to VCAP because we actually get people to agree and we can refund part of the bond, hold part of the bond and away we go. So it's really, it's truncating that time frame down into that 10 business days. Yes, so sure. what, yeah. So what's going mm. to be interesting is whether that increases the number of applications to VCAT proportionate with the number of people who are requesting their bond back immediately because the agent needs a little bit more time in order to settle those things. Mm. And sometimes it's only like a couple of days. We're just yeah. waiting on a quote to come through or something like that. Um, so it, it really means that if the tenant has made that application, we as agents have got to, we've got to be on it. So we've got to get out there, do the inspection as soon as possible um, and then start getting those things rolling. So there's no tenants return the keys on Saturday, go out there the following Thursday, find a few things, get in contact with the owner, you know, a bit of of discussion goes on. It's going to be bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you have come to, like you've, you've filed the notice or the application to, to VCAT, can you cancel it after the application's been, like yes. if you've come to negotiations? Yes. So, yeah, so you don't have to go through the, the whole VCAT process. It's, no. yeah, you can't, like, yeah, so for instance, if you are, you know, you've done your 10 days, it's, it's not definitive saying VCAT, we have to go to, there's no more negotiations. You can still, you can still, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, and in a lot of cases, that's exactly um, why we've made the application to VCAP because legislation says we have to, within that 10 business days, we have to, to organise the bond or make an application. Um, so, yeah, in a lot of cases, that is exactly um, why we apply, to give us that little bit more negotiation time. In a lot of cases with bond settlements, we don't actually end up going to VCAP, um, and especially, yeah. you know, with, with COVID, things pushed out massively um, mm. with timeframes. Um, so that gave us quite a long period to be able to sort out those bonds and settle them. That's a lot of paperwork for VCAT, isn't it? Because it's all this stuff coming prematurely. Yeah. Back onto VCAT now. Um, mm. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how much of a, of a logjam that creates um, mm. with all these applications that are coming through or whether we just find that they come through and then they get withdrawn and they come through and they get withdrawn. So it just becomes an in and out mm. of the VCAT and doesn't really take Turn up into anything. Mm. Yeah, it's just the paperwork time or the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Paperwork, yeah. Okay, so it's come to an expectation that a rental property, including the carpets, must be professionally cleaned if you want the bond returned. Is this still the case? 
Yeah, so the wording in the new Act, actually, um, it's it's quite specific in that it says that if it's needed to restore the property to the condition it was at the commencement of the tenancy. So if we yeah. as agents or as the owner of the property can produce um, a receipt that says the property was professionally cleaned prior to the tenant moving in and the carpets were steam cleaned, then if it's needed to restore the property to that same condition, you can require that the property is professionally cleaned. Um, so yeah. reasonably clean will always apply. Um, reasonably clean has always been kind of open to interpretation. Yeah. So, you know, some people see reasonably clean as there can't even be dust on a skirting board or, um, mm. you know, a little bit of a little bit of soap scum on a, um, on a shower screen or something like that. Um, mm. Other people will look at it and go, well, that to me is reasonably clean and, you know, looks okay, way you go. So it's yeah. always been open to interpretation, that one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the, the term is needed to restore. So it's bringing it so, so, for instance, if I started a lease today and the, does a property manager have to say, look, just letting you know, here are the receipts that shows that um, the place was professionally cleaned and also professionally steam cleaned before you were at the property. We just let you need to let you know that you're expected to do the same when you leave the property. Um, like, is it upfront, or is it something that you get told like that 28 days before you know you've given notice yeah. that you know here you are, here's our our professional cleaning receipts. Um, this is what you need to do as well because yeah. that's how you received it. So therefore you need to do the same. So what, at what stage do you, does the tenant get notified that they have to leave the place professionally cleaned? Best practice would be that you notify them at the beginning. Um, yeah. I, I would say best practice would probably be that you notify them at both points. Um, let yeah. them know at the beginning and then when they're moving out, by the way, the property was professionally cleaned before you moved in. So, you know, this is what we're going to need when you move out. And here's the, the documentation which shows that this was done prior to you moving in. Yeah. Um, so there's no there's no grey areas. That does yeah. happen quite often at the moment that tenants will move out and um, when they return the keys, it's like, well, do you have your steam cleaning receipt? Oh, no one told me I had to steam clean. Yeah. Well, it's in the documentation that we, because you know, we send a, yeah. um, a bit Heck. of a speak out is yeah. what we expect. Well, it was in there. Oh, but I didn't think that applied to me because no one told me 100% that I had to do it. I thought it was just general. Mm. So being being quite specific, I think, is is probably going to pay dividends in this yeah. particular situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just going to be the property manager's practice of notifying you where you're at, Yeah. I went to a property once where it was freshly painted, the tenant before me, oh, yeah. and then they decided to like, patch up the paint, gloss paint instead of um, matte paint. Yep. So I had like big gloss paint patches on the wall. And the agent said, oh, look, it's ridiculous. You shouldn't have to live like this. I, guess, I said, look, you know what? I'd rather have this. Don't be bothered with painters coming into my house. And guess what? I can leave it like this when I leave. Yep. You know, and then you can paint it. Then it's up to you. But yep. I'm happy with <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's, as you said, it's the condition that you receive it in. And it also means I can't, because it's a bit dodgy, yeah. they can't stuff you up at the other end as much. No, this is true. <laughs> and and being, being someone who enjoys a lot of DIY stuff around the house and things, making that mistake between... <laughs> 
the same <laughs> colour paint, but you merrily going along with the gloss. It's like, oh, hang on a minute, no. <laughs> it's not working for me. <laughs> just, just read the painting, people. I've been. <laughs> mm, there was like a patch about, I don't know, two feet by like a foot in my bedroom. And it was like this just glossy bit. I'm like, I, I'm not seeing it anymore. I'm not, but you, like, it's, you saw this little shine as you walk down the hallway into it. Like put a lovely big print over it and then you never <clears> have to worry about it until you move it. worry about it, yeah. Um, now, what happens if the tenant leaves goods behind? <sighs> this is a biggie. Big question. It's a biggie. <laughs> um, because up until now we've been able to rely on the lovely people who work at Consumer Affairs Victoria um, who yeah. have come out and done abandoned goods inspections for us. Um, and they gave us this lovely little piece of paper that said that the goods that were in the property um, were not worth the cost of moving, storing, selling, etc. cetera. Um, and so we had Consumer Affairs Authority to get rid of those items and dispose of them. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, that incurred cost to the owner, which in some cases could come out of the bond, in some cases came out of the owner's insurance, but it wasn't left to the property manager's discretion or decision around whether those things stayed or went. Mm -hmm. Um, That has now been removed and the decision around those things now sits with the residential rental provider or their agent. So... When a tenant moves out, assuming that a tenant's moved out and has left, um, I don't know, half a household of stuff, right, yeah. um, which happened to me once when I was doing an eviction, we were opening the front door with the locksmith and the tenant just walked straight out the back door and left literally everything. His wow. clothes, his aftershave, all his um, crockery, cutlery, food, everything. Mm. Just left it yeah. never came back looking for it and it was just like, Oh, my God. Okay. So the salvos did well out of that, can I tell you? But yeah. the, so if the, um, the tenant leaves stuff behind, the owner, um, I'm just going to keep saying the owner, but, you know, obviously the agent classifies under that yeah. as well, can immediately dispose of um, goods of what they say of no monetary value, but as long as they're not prescribed goods that must be stored. So prescribed yeah. goods are things like... Um, you know, if there were um, personal items like photographs, uh, bank statements, um, if there was um, things like prosthetics um, mm-hmm. or um, urns with um, with human remains in them, um, mm-hmm. you know, things like that that are like ultra, ultra personal, we're not allowed yeah. to, to dispose of those things. Um, yeah. But we can dispose also of perishable foodstuffs and dangerous goods. So those things yeah. can be got rid of pretty much immediately. Um, yeah. We've got to store any personal documents for at least 90 days um, mm-hmm. and have to let the former tenant reclaim those personal documents after repaying any reasonable costs that the owner has incurred to remove or store them. So if it was just mm-hmm. photographs, you know, things like that, that can be picked up put into a box, put into someone's garage, realistically doesn't cost very much or anything. Um, So the tenant could reasonably come back and say, can I have those things back um, within that 90-day period? Um, But if they were larger things, 
um, then and the owner actually had to employ someone to come and move them, store them, etc. Um, then the tenant would have to pay that before they were able to reclaim their goods. Um, okay. But the the goods of monetary value, what what the owner has to do is take reasonable steps to give notice to the former renter that they've been left behind. So mm-hmm. um, that would include sending an email to the email address that was on file, probably a text message to their mobile. Um, and also attempt a phone call, assuming that you know you were um, you were reasonably still on speaking terms, um, yeah. and also have to store the goods in a safe place for at least fourteen days. Um, now, in a safe place for at least fourteen days, normally what you probably do is just leave them inside the property. Mm. So, before the goods can be reclaimed, the owner can charge an occupation fee. Um, but the occupation fee can only be charged if the goods left behind were a sufficient quantity to prevent the owner from renting out the premises. Okay. So, like, basically your lounge suite and your TV and your dining, you know, well, you can't except, move. Yeah. yeah. So the example that I gave before of the place being completely full of stuff, it wouldn't prohibit you from showing people through for an inspection, but it would prohibit you from being able to have someone else move in. Um, if it was just a fridge and a lounge suite, you could realistically move those things pretty easily um, to allow someone to move in. So that's where where that sufficient quantity comes in. Mm -hmm. But the occupation fee can't be greater than the rent Mm. for the number of days that the goods were stored and it can't be more than 14 days because that's the time frame that you have to have to hold on to those things for the tenant. There's always yeah. the caveat, <laughs> there's always the caveat of VCAT though. Yeah. Um, because VCAT can actually make an order um, that they need to be stored for longer than 14 days. Um, so the maximum fee that can be charged to the tenant is the period that VCAT has ordered for those goods to be stored. Okay. But we're not finished. Not finished. There's more. Oh, <laughs> there's more. <laughs> Okay. If the goods are not reclaimed within 14 yeah. days, um, the owner may sell or dispose of the goods in any lawful manner. So if the goods are not reclaimed and are sold by the owner, the former renter has six months to claim the proceeds of the sale less the cost of the occupation fee and the cost of yeah. the sale. So if the goods are not reclaimed um the and then they're sold off by the owner so the owner makes two thousand dollars out of the sale the rent was six hundred dollars a week so twelve hundred dollars and it costs them three hundred dollars to get the um the people out to pick the stuff up take it to the auction house and sell it and that's their cut um then there's still five hundred dollars left over of that total amount the tenant has six months to claim that money okay that makes sense yeah, yep. so they they may get something out of it, and they haven't done any of the work. How good is that? Not. You don't want people thinking that that's going. To be, hey, I'm, I really don't need this stuff. I know. I'll just leave it here, and then the and then I'll come back in five months' time and get the money. Yeah. Um, but but this is this I actually think is the harder part. Okay. If the tenant doesn't come back within six months. Mm. That $500 needs to be paid by the owner to the residential tenancies fund within 30 days of the end of the six-month period. So there's no profit to be made by the owner here, um, yeah. and which is not a bad thing, 
Yeah. But the fact that they put a time frame on it, that just concerns me a little bit because six months is a fairly substantial period of time. Mm. And if an owner's like, you know, not really thinking about it and suddenly goes, oh, my God, that's right, I was supposed to do this, it mm. might be longer than 30 days. And I just wouldn't like to see clients get in trouble because they've, you know, misjudged a time frame or something like that. So, um, so what is the residential tenancy fund? So yeah. what do they do with it? They just like sit on it like a trust fund? No, the residential tenancies fund, um, in the past, people have been able to make claims from the residential tenancies fund in the event that they lost money because an agent had gone bankrupt or run away with the trust account or something like that. They could actually make a claim against the residential tenancies fund for that, to be reimbursed for that. So it's, it is there for a level of protection for consumers who have lost out because of um, an owner or an agent doing the wrong thing. Could a tenant ask the residential tenancies fund to get for that money back if they realise that that's where it is? Maybe yeah. they could. I, don't, I actually don't know the answer to that. I'd have to do some research on that one for you and find out it's okay um and the other thing as a hypothetical scenario say for instance i get that phone call from my mum in london saying that she's absolutely sick i need to go and fly over and look after her and then you know you're in the situation where you've dropped your job you dropped your property that you're living in you know you're going over there to look after your mum absolutely distraught because you were so so close to your mum and then she takes six seven months to die oh you're in lockdown you're in a covid lockdown oh you're in a covid lockdown and you're stuck because you haven't worked you haven't been paying your rent you haven't been paying any of it and you're just like switching off from the world because you're absolutely destroyed about your mum being on her last legs kind of thing that would be just a situation that would you have compassionate leave or like compassionate reasons for doing it or is it just going to be black and white well I think with with this situation this would be after the tenant has vacated so we knew that the tenant was vacating or we had given notice to the tenant or it was a a the, the fact that they were more than 14 days in arrears and we went to VCAT and we got a warrant of possession. So there's there's a lot of lead up to being able to implement is goods left behind. So in yeah. that scenario, A, you would hope that the person vacating the property would at least be in contact with the agent and say, hey, this is what's going on with me. I'm not actually going to be there for the next couple of months and so on and so forth. Or when they stop paying their rent, we would have to go through a process of trying to get in contact with them to find out what was going on, then make an application to VCAT, then get a warrant of possession. So there's there's quite there's quite a lot of time that would be between the tenant just moving out of the property. Yeah. We we definitely have had tenants just, you know disappear in a puff of smoke and that's sort of what happens is that you know people who may have you know they've got a visa to live here for instance and then they just go and they've left everything behind because it's like what's going to cost me a small fortune to get rid of it so they leave everything behind yep absolutely you know sometimes there's um there's tenants who have substantial mental health issues Hmm. and they they end up going into you know into residential care Hmm. um and their family, in some cases, are estranged from them, so their family don't know. Mm. But we're also in a position that if we were trying to chase someone um, who we perhaps knew had mental health issues and we suspected this is what was going on, if we were to get in contact with their next of kin and the next of kin said, why are you contacting me? All we'd be able to say is we haven't been able to reach Sue. Do you know where she is? No, we don't know. Why? What's going on? We well, can't really tell you. Is she behind in her rent? I can't tell you. Is she at the property? I can't tell you. 
because it's it's all that privacy. Yeah. So we have to be really careful about who we contact and the questions that we ask mm. of their their nominated next of kin. And even though they've put this person down on their application form as being, you know, if anything happens, please contact this person. Yeah. We we still can't just ring them up and go, oh hi, we haven't heard from Sue. She's more than fourteen days in arrears. We've been around to the property. She's not there. What's going on? Can you ask her to call us, please? Yeah. So, but so I might um, I might have like put myself, you know, into the mental hospital um, as you might. Stacey, you know. And, you know, we don't know who we are, you know. Well, that's exactly true. We shouldn't laugh, I guess. We shouldn't. um, These are very likely scenarios. Exactly. There are are a lot of people who suffer from from those kind of episodes Mm -hmm. and can't be contacted. Um, You know, we've we've got a situation at the moment with a tenant that we couldn't find for a while and then his family member got in contact with us and said, well, he's actually been in prison. Now, because he was in prison, he couldn't get in contact with us. He didn't know we were trying to reach him. I don't, well, well, perhaps he just didn't care. I don't know. He had more on his mind than what was going on with his rental property. So there there are certainly situations where people drop off the radar. Mm. Um, We don't know where they are, so we have to start a process. But no, they might be quite legitimate, the reason why they're not at the property anymore. Yeah. So we've got, to, we've got to tread carefully with these things. Yeah, because, like, the reality is they're always going to be a sad situation. That's why they've left. It's not going to be just that, you know, broken, you know, pedestal fan that, you know, thought, well, I can't be bothered putting that in the removalist truck. It's 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 going to be more, it's much more in-depth reason why you've left a house, yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. So Normally. Normally, if you just left everything behind, yeah, absolutely, yeah. including personal items and things yeah. like that. Um, yeah, that's it's that's not a, a everyday occurrence at all. No, um, but the good left behind um, process, there, you know, for good reason, it's a long winded process. Mm. What happens if a sole tenant dies during their lease? Like that's the saddest of them all. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, had a few of those in my time, unfortunately. Um, well, it's not nice, but you know, it's it's a fact of life, unfortunately. But you know, it's I think every property manager will probably run across it at some stage. Mm-hmm. But the legal representative or the um, next of kin mm-hmm. can give notice to vacate the property to us. Now it used to be twenty eight days notice. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's a, it's more sort of open to negotiation yeah. um, as to how much time they feel that they're they're going to need, and or the agent can give. Notice in the event that there's no next of kin um, to terminate the lease, or we can make an application to VCAT and VCAT can um, can decide on that time frame. So it's uh, it's not massively different to the way it is at the moment. Mm. Um, But again, that would be a classic example where the goods left behind would come in if there was no next of kin. Mm. Then we'd have to go through that process. Yeah. It is sad. Like I've, I went to a house once where the lady across the road, I'd written her house up a month beforehand. And then I went and then I saw her at the house across the road and I'm like, oh, what are you doing here? And she said, look, the gentleman who lived here, he's died. He was 96. He lived here with his 92 year old sister. They dedicated their life to the army. They were both going blind. She died you know, two years ago, he died in the last few weeks. There's no one. They both had no kids. They had no one to, they were the end of the line, essentially, of the family uh, name. And she said, look, it's either me or the uh, legal representative who's looking after the will that's going to be cleaning the house. And I don't think it's going to be the legal representative. So I have to do it um, to get it ready for sale. So, yeah, it was just really sad, you know. 
that yeah. you go through that huge life, almost a century of years, and you've got no one behind besides a neighbour who'd been your neighbour for the last 40 years. Yeah. So oh, gosh. that would have been 15, 16 years ago, that one. And it's still, like, it's just one of those ones where it's like, how sad is that, that people don't have a legacy? Anyway, it is what it is. Yeah. 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 Especially like no cousins, no, like no nieces and nephews. Do you know what I mean? Like if you choose to have no kids, that's fine. But then, you know, you want somebody in the family to have somebody, something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Some, some degree of contact or something like that. But yeah, yeah, if you're, yeah. Oh, that's sad. It is sad. But anyway, it is life. Everyone chooses their own lives the way they want to live them. So, yep. So is there anything else new in the Tenancy Act that we haven't covered to do with vacating a property? Really? The only other notice is probably one thing that that we we have touched on. We've talked about pets before, but um, there is now a reason that the owner um, can serve notice on the tenant uh, if they have a pet without consent. If the owner went through that process of making an application to VCAT to have the pet no rejected their yeah. pet application rejected they got an order from vcat confirming that the tenant wasn't allowed to have a pet on the property um, and the tenant still went ahead and got a pet mm. there is now an option to be able to serve notice on the tenant because of that okay which we haven't ever been able to do before mm. you know serve a, t- a notice on the tenant because they had a pet yeah um so we can do it but we've got to have that vcat order that's yeah. the you know that's the condition of that one okay so essentially, there's a lot of VCAT orders if if we don't want to get things really seriously changed. Yeah, like I said, there's going to be a lot of lot going on at VCAT. Well, um, on VCAT. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sophie, for a big three weeks about the new Residential Tenancies Act. I'm sure loads of tenants and landlords are more informed about all the new changes which happen on the 29th of March of this year. So it's not long, is it? So if you'd like to contact Sophie for any of your property management needs, you can contact her on 03-9810-5053 or go to the jealouscraig.com.au website for more information. Absolutely. Thanks again, Sophie. Next week, we have two episodes. We have our town taster on Monbolk with Scott Allison from Fletcher's in the Yarra Ranges. That comes out on Tuesday. And on Thursday, we have Frank Valentic from Advantage Property Consulting back to talk to us about the auction results and understanding what they mean. He's got an amazing offer for our blockheads too, so don't miss it. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production, hosted, written and produced by Sue Langada. I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music, Zoom for our video link, and Francis Morello for his voiceover. Real Copyright is a real estate copywriting service writing property all over Melbourne since 1998. If you would like Sue and her team of copywriters to write your property, go through the email address orders at realcopyright.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Real Estate Right on your favourite podcast platform. And if you would like to ask one of our experts a question on the podcast, email your questions to sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.